Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Hi, I'm KSL's Debbie Worthen. Four years ago, my son Asher was diagnosed with autism. After getting our footing, we decided it was time to celebrate the news with all of you. And that's how Celebrating the Spectrum was born. Each week, we consult with the experts and others who are learning to navigate life with a loved one who has special needs. This is a place where we find hope, look for solutions, and connect with those working to create a better world of inclusion. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Celebrating the Spectrum. Today we are talking to Eric Stoker, the Information Specialist for the Utah Developmental Disabilities Council. UDDC is entirely dedicated to improving the lives of Utah citizens with autism and other developmental disabilities. UDCC, UDDC is an independent governor-appointed body and has representation across administrations as well as family and individual voices. So Eric Stoker is with us today. Eric, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure, Debbie. I'm happy to be here. Well, I also want to mention, because I think it brings so much credibility to you, and that is that you are yourself autistic. So can we talk about that diagnosis for a minute? Yes, we can. Um, So a little bit about my diagnosis. I was diagnosed when I was seven years old at the time, but when I was born back in 1987, um, the diagnosis of autism was starting to increase. But when I turned two years old, I was evaluated at the University of Utah, and they said that I had developmental delay. And throughout my childhood, I was in speech therapy, occupational therapy, and then went through special education services through the Jordan School District. And then finally, when I was seven years old, my diagnosis came and it was a moderate form of autism. So your parents, did they did they think, oh, we need to keep doing studies. There's more to this. There's something else going on. Not really. They just kept, after I was diagnosed with autism, they kept training me more about autism mm-hmm. with the different types of different diagnoses of autism there was. And they said... And they said to me, I have autism for the rest of my life. And okay. I'm myself, okay. I'm telling myself, okay, I have autism the rest of my life. But every time somebody looks at me, they're like, oh, you're just a regular human being just like us. But they don't know. <laughs> they have a hidden disability. Yeah. Yeah. So at seven years old, I mean, were you were you aware enough to, I mean, did it matter to you at that time? Or, or looking back, what are your thoughts on that? I didn't know I had autism at the time when I was seven, though, because I thought I was just a regular human being. But my mom and I were doing stuff together and we wanted to and she taught me more about autism because i think my mom was my biggest champion at the time for sure yeah because when i was in because when i was in in elementary school she kept fighting my she helped me fight my battles along with my sister allison who's my younger sister and my mom actually um came up to me a bunch of times to talk about my disability a bunch and she wanted to know more about this and stuff 
Okay. And so autism at that time really meant nothing to you because, I mean, it was just a term. You know, so my, my son turned seven actually on Friday. And so his therapist a few years ago said, you need to start just talking about autism just so he knows he's autistic, that type of thing. And so he knows he's autistic, but I know he doesn't understand anything else. You know, it's just, it would be just like saying you have brown eyes. You know, it's just like part of who he is. And do you think that's the right approach or how do you think that parents should be explaining that to little kids or does it even matter? I would say explain it to them a little bit. And then also from my perspective, I would say like teach them a little bit about autism and maybe show them, explain things like tell them like there's a really lot of really cool people that You're have right. autism. Like yeah. explain like who's out there and they've done these amazing things and tell, and you need to motivate them to like this person did this and tell them you have skills that you're good at. Cause I think the one thing people that parents should realize is that people with autism have different skills that they are good at. Like they're exceptional. Me, I, right. Yeah, exactly. Cause for me, I have, a, I have a skill of knowing basketball, basketball statistics off the wazoo. <laughs> that's so cool. <laughs> okay. That's so really mostly, fun. Mostly actually, because most of the time I mess up on a set and like, I have to go back and research it. I'm like, why did I say that wrong? I know this was right the first time. Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. No, yeah, that's what we've been doing. We we did a, a an assembly last year and just talked about all the people that are well-known in society with autism, you know. So I'm trying to educate his little friends as well. And so far this year, it's gone really, really great. All right, so uh, we are talking about a bunch of different things that the Utah Developmental Disabilities Council does. All right, so first of all, you talk about advocacy. So, and I know this is this is big, especially once autistic kids turn into autistic adults. So what do people know about advocacy? Because we know this changes with time. I think the most important part of advocacy is being self-determined because self-determined means that self-advocates need to learn how to control their lives and to speak up to people about what they want and needs. Because a lot of times if they don't, they're going to they're going to be hidden away and the, their supporters will take over and say, oh, this person wants this. Instead of saying instead of the self-advocates saying, no, this is what I want. Now, do you feel like generally when someone is saying this person needs this, this person wants this, that that's coming from a good place or do you feel like it's not? It's not because we want people okay, to, because we want people with disabilities to have their voices be heard at, at the table because a lot of times sometimes their supporters want them to do different things that they don't want to do. Give me an example. Well, for example, like if you're living in a um, group, and I'm, I'm trying to think of some. For example, if you're living in a house, you have um, two other roommates, and your roommate wants to do this, and you want to do this, you need to compromise together. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, yeah, because I mean, I think all of this right now for me with our son, I'm doing all of this right now because he's he's a little kid. But the goal is, you know, just like a, ki- a typically developing child, you want to teach them these skills, not just do it for them, so ultimately they can do it themselves. Okay, so how do you guys help advocate for the needs of people with intellectual and developmental disabilities and their families? So here at the at the Utah Developmental Displaced Council, we help people with disabilities and their families to use their voices by being an advocate for themselves, um, their families, and all members of the community. And we have several programs that develop and teach advocacy skills. And one of these programs is our Take a Literature to Work program. And this program called Take a Literature to Work is where we have a self-advocate invite their legislator to the workplace setting. And this program shows lawmakers that people with displays are working in the community mm-hmm. and how inclusion brings value to not just the advocate, but to the whole community. Right, right. For and, sure. Just like in the classroom, you know, just exactly. like in the classroom that continues into the workplace. So have you had success with this? Have you had legislators that have actually, you know, been like a, a work shadow for the day? 
Yes, we have actually. And we're actually recruiting for Take Your Literature to Work as of right now. We're recruiting self-advocates to come and just be a part of this program. And it's really, really fun. No, I bet it is. And so when you're talking self-advocates, are you talking people with disabilities? We're talking about everybody because everybody's a okay. self-advocate. Because okay. people with disabilities are self-advocates, the, their parents are. There's everybody. Okay, so so it wouldn't just be it wouldn't just be my son when he's 18. It would be like I could do that too. I could say, you know, to a legislator, "Hey, I want you to go and let's let's look at how this is working and the value that these people are bringing to the workplace." Exactly, because we want to have people at this place show them where they're working at, and they'll be like, "Oh, this person works at the movie theater. How cool! I didn't mm-hmm. know that." Right, right. And what do you think that does for a legislator who really is not that familiar with it? I would say I would say have this legislator sign up because because a lot of times people displays are in their communities and they're working and they're making some good skills and progress in their communities and they should realize that. So you're recruiting right now with legislators. You're trying to recruit the legislators to do it. We're recruiting self-advocates to do the work and we're recru- recruiting legislators to just be a shadow and just see like what they do for the day. Oh, so both sides. Exactly. Yeah, you're, you're, you're recruiting in general. Okay, yeah. so how do you educate about disability rights, advocacy, and the importance of self-determination? So we, a lot of, we offer a lot of programs. Um, one of our programs is um, the Advocacy Leadership Policy and Success Program, which covers all the topics that you were talking about in the beginning. And that starts in September and finishes in May. The program is an intensive 80 hours of training, and it teaches people about self-determination, display history, resources available throughout the state of Utah, community resources, and so much more. And we also offer our Advocates as Leaders Speakers Network. And what that is, is the Advocates as Leaders Speakers Network is a group of speakers that go out and educate other self-advocates, family members, siblings, and community members about the issues that are on our minds. And we talk about support decision-making, autism, self-advocacy, and self-determination, and so much more. And any organization or businesses can receive training from the speakers free of charge. Okay. It's really fun. No, no, that's really cool. So why do you think that self-determination is so important? And is that a common issue that you see? I believe that's important for a self-advocate to control what they want to see happen in their life because many adults want to live independently because we aren't allowed to choose choices for our own lives, then someone will control what we do. Right. Yeah, that's and true. It, Nobody really yeah, wants it, that. Or at least you want to say. You may recognize like... You know, oh, I need a little help in a certain area, but you want to be the one in control of what's exactly happening, right? That's correct, because it happens every day, and more people displaced are learning about self-determination each and every day through their post-transition secondary schools or listening to the listening to a presentation from the Advocates as Leaders Speakers Network. Right. No, that's great. So the Advocates as Leaders Speaker Network, where can people find information on that? And are those classes that are online do you sign up? Do you go? I mean, that 80 hours, is that, do you have to go the whole 80 hours? For the Alps for 80 hours, you would have to attend all the trainings and stuff. But for the Speakers Network, um, you can go to our website and visit Utah Development, UDDC at Utah, no, yeah, wrong, wrong way, sorry. So utahdtcouncil.org. And we um, have a list of all the speakers. And if you're doing a, if you want to do, a, if you want us to come out and do a presentation to your business or, mm-hmm or other organizations and stuff, let us know. That's so great. Okay, so as far as the um, the self-determination, with the other autistic adults that you know, is this a hurdle? It kind of is. Exactly and why, and why is it such a hurdle? Um, I think it's a hurdle because a lot of times people with autism get a little nervous about being self-determined because they're scared, they're nervous, and they don't think they can do it. 
but we have to educate them and be like, you can do this. You got to believe in yourself and have a future together. You got to believe in yourself. Do you feel like it's that maybe that social disconnect? Is that, is that the barrier? Yes. I, Cause I think, cause a lot of times I think a lot of adults with autism get a little nervous becoming social because mm-hmm. every time I talk to a person with autism, they're a little shy at first, but once you get to know them a little better, they'll start talking about these really cool interests they have. Like, right. And, because they're interested in like trains, dinosaurs, all that stuff. It's really cool. Yeah, right, right. And an intense interest can be interesting to other people as well. And, you know, thinking about it, I read this book years ago and it was saying how most people in life don't get what they want out of life because they don't actually even know. They don't know what they want. I mean, think about that. It's like, how do you get where you want to go if you haven't even really like pictured where you want to be? You know, and then you get past to where it's like, okay, this is what I want. It is intimidating, I think, for everyone to ask for what you want directly. You know, so I, I can see if you suffered with social anxiety or if, if uh, you know, social skills were an issue, that would be that much harder. Right. Do you exactly. think that's accurate? Yes. Okay. Okay. So UDDC encourages diversity and inclusion through actions and council members. What actions? So what we're focusing on is we focus on community integration, which means we promote people with disabilities living and working in their communities by living a happy and healthy life. Yeah. How do you do that? I mean, that's a big statement. You know, so do you meet with them on a weekly basis? Do you get them involved in community programs? Like, what do you actually do there? We get get them more involved about how to talk to their legislators and also how to speak up for what they believe in. Okay. And then as far as like encouraging diversity and inclusion, I mean, those, those are just like buzzwords right now, diversity and inclusion. And so that, that inclusion, what does that look like? What do you think like a true society of inclusion looks like? And how do you feel like you guys are trying to get to that point? I think what we're trying to do is trying to promote like people with disabilities can do these things mm-hmm. and also try to advocate up the, the capital and just say like, and just tell them that, hey, there are a lot of people with disabilities out there. We need help. What can you do for us? So when you advocate up at the legislature and you're saying, like, we need help, we have the, all these great skills, are you asking the legislators for money or new policies? And if so, what policies would help with diversity and inclusion? I would say probably that the one thing we're focusing on for this upcoming legislative session is the Caregiver Compensation Act that Representative Harper is doing. And that's one of our biggest bills that we're looking at right yeah, now. Tell though, me about that. What is it? Right now we're under a caregiver crisis as of this moment because mm-hmm. a lot of, because there's not right. much caregivers out there to help people with disabilities. And we're trying to tell the legislator, we need, we need more funding to help have caregivers help these people with disabilities because we're short, mm-hmm. we're short staffed with caregivers and we need more help for with being, with getting more. And so when you talk about caregivers, what, what does that include? What umbrella does that cover? That would cover like under like um, direct support professionals, like people mm-hmm. who know the system and people who want to learn the system. So learn the system as far as helping um, adults with disabilities advocate for themselves, that type of thing. Right. Because we need because we need people to help train the self-advocates and tell them, OK, we need to do OK, we need to do this first mm-hmm. and then we'll work on this together. Yeah, And what's so crazy to me is, I mean, it's so important to have have some guidance for life skills and here, like here are kind of your options. Here's what you need to do. Here are some people you can call. And what's so interesting to me is 
this would just be good for everyone in general. (laughs) You know, like you graduate from high school. And I think that's what they try to do, like in the career counseling in high schools. I think that's kind of what I've gathered from my daughters that have, you know, either graduated or in high school right now. It's kind of like that's what they're trying to do. And if you implement those things, then, you know, you kind of have a roadmap for what you want, what you need and how to get there. And would you say that's that's kind of what you're trying to do there? Yeah, exactly. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. So at UDDC, you say you build capacity by initiating new ideas and approaches that will improve the lives of people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. So I was hoping that you could give, give us some examples because I think it would trigger some creativity in our listeners of some new ideas that have been implemented when you're talking about this. Yeah, I can I can give you some examples. So series of examples that we're working on is the Utah Transit Authority's on-demand project in Transition University. Those are some of the two projects that are that come to mind. And so a little bit about the Utah, Utah Transit Authority's on-demand project. Um, we needed access to transportation because that is a big barrier for people. A with big barrier. Right, right. Yeah. Because the, so the Utah Development Police Council funded a simulation study so that UTA could would have the data information they needed to build a fleet of on-demand access vehicles. And now... Utah, the Utah Transit Authority has an on-demand ride service operation because of the funding that the council funding the study needed to launch it. And then the second grant, the second project is Transition University, which we awarded a grant to the Utah Parent Center, is to create a program that supports young adults with disabilities and their families to prepare for life changes that happen when people move from school to adulthood. And this and this transition university offers skills, skill, skills training, resource information to make sure that life after school is awesome and productive. You know, that's so interesting you say that because we actually talked to the Utah Parent Center a couple of weeks ago and they talked a lot about this specific thing. You know, in my case, our son is almost seven. So all of this just seems like a lifetime away. But from what the representative was telling us is, you know, you kind of just assume, oh, your son will graduate. He's on track to graduate. And then, oh, He'll, you know, do whatever comes next. But I think it's that transition. And, you know, we hear a lot about the benefits cliff on this podcast. And so I think that transition is is really, really critical. That's really great. And so this one I really love because I've tried to do this, but I, you know, I never really know if I'm doing it effectively. (laughs) And it's you train to support citizens to speak up about what they want and need. And this helps empower people to advocate on behalf of their own lives, families, neighborhoods and communities. So let me give you an example of how I'm not totally sure if what I'm doing is is making a true difference long term or if it's just making a difference for my son. So, you know, we fought really hard to keep my son in our home school because his therapist said he needed social modeling from typical peers. And so as of this year, and this was a, like a big battle and, and we all had to come together and really determine how to do this. Now this year it's going so well. I mean, I just feel like what we have going right now in his school is he's thriving. It feels like it's sustainable, but we're the only one in the school. And I know a few other families whose kids, like they live in the boundary and they are going to other schools, either, you know, like in self-contained classrooms or whatever, where I have felt like, and I've talked to these parents too, I have felt like, you know, if we just give a little nudge, this could be like a pilot program that moves into the future because I feel like, you know, as schools in Utah, we definitely just need to make the pivot. And some of us are doing it here and there, but there hasn't been like some, you know, huge program that has been implemented or a curriculum 
adjustment that's been implemented. I, I feel like it's just been kind of like piecemeal. So when you're training at, you know, to support citizens to speak up, how like how do you do that? How do you train them to to speak up? I would say make connections. That is the one key I would say. Make connections with your with the parents you meet and stuff. Because a lot of times some parents have different valuables, but you have to com- come together and come up with a solution mm-hmm. and say to each other, what works for my son or what should we work for our kids? Yeah, no, that's a good point. And I think that some parents are motivated by anger because they've been so mad about how their child has been treated in schools. and and But their motivation, I feel like sometimes becomes misdirected. So it's like, oh, we are going to do this no matter what. It like, doesn't even matter if it's best for the kid at that point. It's like the school should do this. you know. But, but I think if you get together and collaborate in a positive way, then that's really how you can implement long-term change. I just feel like that's been one that I have struggled with and in feeling like, okay, I definitely feel like I'm making a difference for my son, but I don't know that we're doing anything that's like long-lasting. And I, and I would I would love to have some training on knowing exactly the routes, you know, and the way to do that. Another thing, Debbie, that I was thinking about while you were talking about the other things is find that, find that right teacher that will um, push them to motivate them and stuff. Because I had a lot of mm-hmm. teachers when I was in school that motivated me to keep do great things and stuff. Oh, and you know what? And I have to just give a huge shout out to my son's teacher right now. I've never seen anything like it. She is amazing. And she, she sent me a video of him last week in this big email just about how the other kids are looking up to him. He's a natural leader. Kids gravitate toward him. And I truly believe that that comes from her setting that tone and that comfort level in the classroom. And she said in the email, this is what true inclusion looks like. And I feel the same way. I feel like what she's doing, this is this is what inclusion looks like. And I would love every autistic kid to be having the same experience because if there was that expectation in first grade, it would move to second grade, you know, and, and those biases that kids have by junior high that are too hard to change, they wouldn't even really exist at that point. Okay, I've been doing a lot of talking. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do when a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything it was violent it was senseless and i will never understand it i will never accept it i'm amy donaldson and unfortunately we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives but what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt in a new podcast the letter we relive tragedy but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to talk more to Eric about a podcast that you all might be interested in listening in, listening to. And when we talk about that training, does it cost money? What does it look like? How beneficial is it? So stay with us. We'll be right back. All 
right. We are talking to Eric Stoker, and Eric is with the Utah Developmental Disabilities Council. We're talking about just ways to advocate for the autistic loved ones in our lives and for autistic adults to advocate for themselves. So, Eric, we talked a few minutes ago about the training, how you help train members of the community and autistic members of the community to advocate for themselves. So say, you know, I want to get some training on how to advocate for my son. Does it cost money? Do I have to pay for that? So one of the programs um, to learn more about advocacy is called our ALPS program, which is the Advocacy Leadership Policy and Success Program, or ALPS for short. And it's free and it's for self-advocates, family and community members. And no, it does not cost money. It's free. Now, how beneficial do you think that training is? It's really beneficial because we want people with disabilities and their families to figure out how to use their voices and to not be scared while they use it. And some of the topics we cover in our ALPS program is we cover display history, our mental health systems, mm. education education systems, can't talk today, the state legislative process and community involvement. And it's a really fun program. Yeah, no, that's crazy. And here's here's the thing, too, which I found right away. So, you know, my son, our pediatrician was like, well, first of all, he was having this, this huge meltdown. She's like, I'm diagnosing him with autism. And I found out later, like, you know, she can't even really do that. You have to go through a bunch of tests and get like a formal evaluation, you know. And so she just hands me this pamphlet with all this info. All of it's wrong. I make all these calls like, oh, we don't do that here. We don't know what you're talking about. And it's been crazy to me that that's sort of been my experience trying to navigate this whole world of autism and resources and accommodations and all of this stuff. So it is nice that there is a place where you can get some training. Say like, okay, here's the next step. And you know, it would be so beneficial to have, have that be more well known. And is that what you're trying to do with your podcast? Yes, we're trying to train, we're trying to tell people that there are a lot of amazing things out there for people with autism and other disabilities as well. So tell me the name of your podcast, how long it's been going, and kind of some of the subjects that you talk about there. So our podcast is called Develop Abilities. Um, at the time before COVID, I was out in the community doing a roaming reporter, talking to businesses and others about what they were doing to help people with disabilities. Well, what were so they doing? Hit, what were you finding out? Were they doing anything? No. They were doing some good things, okay. like the Hogel Zoo was doing a Zoo for You classes. The Clark Planetarium was accessible. Copperview Recreation Center, who's the hub of all adaptive recreation, was doing great things mm-hmm. for kids and adults with disabilities. And then when COVID hit, everything was put on pause. Yeah. And I was like, nuts. I mm-hmm. hate this. Yeah. So, so I had this idea about starting a podcast, and it stuck ever since because I had a dream of becoming a broadcaster of some sort. And this was a good foot in the door to advocate for my dreams of becoming a sports broadcaster. Here you are, right. We're exactly. not we're not quite talking about sports, but that'll come next, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, what subjects do you cover? Man, we covered we covered many different subjects on our podcast. So, when we started this project, um, our season one was display history, healthy relationships, and adaptive for recreation. After that, we started expanding our podcast. We covered the Americans with Disabilities Act and talked to self advocates about about what the Americans with Disabilities Act meant to them parents and how it meant to their families and professionals on what the ADA does to the work. But the list is pretty long on subjects what we talk about in our podcast. It, it goes on forever. Yeah, no, We're that's, that's great. No, I'm sure, and I'm sure like the subjects are infinite. You could just go on, you know, you could do one every yeah. single day forever. Do you want to talk a little bit about the history of disabilities, the history of autism and the way it was approached even, you know, 20 years ago versus how you think people are approaching it now? The history of autism is kind of hard to figure out because all I know so far goes back to 1906 by Eugene Blair, who discovered the term of autism. And then I think after a while during the like the 1950s, I think we had this term called refrigerator mothers. And that kind of was like made a lot of people 
really angry and it was like, that's not how autism works. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows for sure what, how, what started autism. Nobody knows. How do you feel about the, the evolution of treatment and awareness and and all of that? I think we've come a long way since mm-hmm. where we were back before the ADA was passed because back before the ADA was passed, we were people with autism were being in um, uh, sheltered workshops, institutions and all these places and parents riding them away. And we were, they were scared about what would happen out in the real world. But now when the ADA was passed, they, everyone started to realize, Oh, we can, we can, we have these, we have the ADA in place for people displaced to go to school in their public classrooms. Mm-hmm. There's, there we can we can be, get a job we can be in our communities we can ride the bus everything well what i think is so fascinating is now you know as we start seeing these super super successful people who are autistic and i think you know i mean imagine if they would have had accommodations when they were little kids like even how much greater they would have been i love that that we're really you know, we've sort of switched the mindset there. And as I'm sure, because we have this mutual friend, Jared Stewart, as I'm sure he told you, like the whole idea of celebrating the spectrum, like that the name of our podcast was specific because I think it's so much to celebrate. I mean, our son has just brought infinite joy to our lives and we've learned so much and it's just been so cool to watch how his brain works because it, it is different than ours. And I wouldn't even say different is worse. It's different. It's super cool to watch. So um, when when but I, I really believe that if he would have been born 50 years ago, his world would look much different than it's going to look now. And that's refreshing to me. Don't you feel like yeah. that's refreshing? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So who do you think would be interested in listening to your podcast? I would say people with disabilities, their families and professionals, because there's a lot of great information that people have shared. And now they're including people with disabilities and how they are working to help them live a self-determined life. Because I hope that people that work in school districts, independent living centers, and sheltered workshops know that we have a podcast highlighting self-advocates and people with disabilities. And I would say, I'll say it's great for people who maybe don't have a connection to disability, but like to learn more about access, inclusion, and disability issues. Yeah. I mean, it is one of those things where I feel like people haven't thought about it much unless it's impacted their life. And then it's like, oh, yeah, we need to do this. And and really, it just seems like the natural right thing to do. But until you've had some exposure, I think that, you don't, you know, it doesn't really come top of mind unless you're just one of those really, really great people that's always thinking about others. Okay. So, Eric, tell me how you got involved with UDDC. So how I got involved with the Development Disabilities Council was I was involved with our self-advocacy group called People First of Utah, and our former People First advisor at the time approached uh, my People First group and said, we have an opening for the Utah Development Disabilities Council. And I thought to myself, I want to give this a shot. Okay. And so I- And when was that? That was back in 2008. And so, and so I filled out the application, and then I got a letter, received a letter from Claire Mantonia, who is the former- executive director of the Utah Development Space Council saying, we'd like to schedule you through an interview process. So I went through the interview process and then I got a letter the next, a couple of days ago that said, congratulations, I was appointed to serve on the Disabilities Council. And I was so excited, I couldn't believe it. And it's been a long way though. And I served a six year term with the council. How rewarding has it been? It's been really, it was really fun being a council member because I got to travel to, because I got to hear from, different people's perspectives mm-hmm. on what's been happening on up at the Capitol. I got to hear about um, what we're fighting for and, um, and other really cool projects that the council's working on and other organizations like the Display Law Center and so much more. It was amazing. Yeah. And how much have you learned? 
a ton because after after I left the after I left the Development Space Council in 2004 in September of 2014, I wanted to keep keep going and stuff. And then um, our former executive director Claire kept me in the loop of all these amazing things that they were doing. And so she kept me in the loop. And then finally in July of, in August of 2015, she called me up one day and said, "Hey, I want to offer you a position to work with the Utah Development Space Council." And I said, "Can you tell me more about it?" And she told me more a little bit about it. And she said, I would like the job. And I was like, yeah, I love that. So I went through the interview process, filled out the applications, and I got a job working as the information specialist. Yeah. So the information specialist, is that you just share information? Is that what you do? Like public outreach? Is that your job? Yeah. So what I do is I post articles on Facebook. I I travel with our council to advocate for people with disabilities. And I also go up and sometimes testify on Capitol Hill most of the time. But that's another story. Is that scary? Yeah. Is that scary? And then I also go out and I also go out and speak to people about like what issues are out there. And I also work with our speakers network and I do our podcasts and they give me other odds and ends to do and stuff. And it's really fun. So what else do you think people should know about our podcast, about UDDC and just about, you know, a life with I'm going to say differences, not disabilities. And, you know, like what should people know on how we can support and love those members of our communities? I would say get to know a person because don't because if you get to know a person with a disability, you have a friend for life. And if you want to learn more about our um, disabilities council, you can visit our website at utahddcouncil.org. And we have a lot of great information that will be on our website and stuff. And where can people find your podcast? I would say um, if they have Spotify, Apple or uh, let's say Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and I'm not exactly sure where else. But, but really anywhere you like, get your podcasts. Exactly. Yeah, Correct. exactly. Because okay. so just search up develop abilities podcast and we're right there because it's a really fun show and you won't and if you love listening it you'll love it because right now we're because right now we're trying to get more plays involved and we're trying to get more outreach to our community oh, for about sure. our podcast right yeah it's, it's yeah. all about getting the word out exactly because right now last i checked we had 301 plays and i'm like where can we get more listeners to come and listen because this is a really fun podcast our episodes are great but we just need more listeners to listen in right and really informational as well okay so one final question for you what would you like to see when it comes to inclusion in coming years oh man i would i would say for me basically when it comes to inclusion i would say more people are becoming involved in their communities and to not be left out because we are seeing more of that each and every day because when people displays are left out they don't have a voice at the table or to let their voices be heard because i want to see people working in advocacy together to make change for the world they want to live in. Because if you hear from people about what world they want to live in, you, you'll be like, now I know what they want to live in. Right, right. No, that's great. Okay, well, Eric Stoker, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. And we will put a link also on our website over to your podcast so people can check it out. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yep, thanks. And Celebrating the Spectrum is a KSL podcast. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.